BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. On today's episode of the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, there are some comments that could be triggering for some. Discretion is advised. It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast with your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. Hey, it's JD here, and I'm back for another week here in the SNL Hall of Fame podcast studios. Thank you so much, Doug. It is great to be here, and we love doing this program for you. We are in the home stretch of season four, so why don't you find yourself a comfy spot along the wall and uh, take a look around? But before you do, please. Wipe those feet. The SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair where each episode we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the Hall of Fame. We've got a heck of a class shaping up in this round. Uh, I don't know how it will turn out. Uh, We rarely can make those sorts of predictions, but we will be doing so. We will attempt to do so in our annual roundtable that is uh, coming up very soon. We've got a few more episodes, and then, like I say, we're in the home stretch. It'll be the roundtable, and voting will be open. So let's get right into things and uh, talk about what we're going to talk about this week. We are going to be looking at the career of longtime cast member and now announcer, Daryl Hammond. So Thomas will be joined by Will Norman, a friend of the show, and they will get into a lovely conversation. We'll listen to a sketch. We'll get ourselves uh, fully prepared for the vote by learning as much as we can about why Daryl Hammond belongs in the SNL Hall of Fame, and then we'll call it a day. That's how we play the game. It's really 
quite simple. But now you can see I'm wandering away from the door and I'm heading to the fulcrum of the main entrance doorway and the closet doorway where those two intersect is a corner that we often hang out in before we start our show. And that is Matt's Minutia Minute Corner. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about Mr. Hammond when we get our hands on our friend Matt, which let's do that right now, shall we? Matt! Matt! Hey, Jamie! What's up? Not much. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great. I am looking forward to today. Daryl Hammond, a terrific artist, terrific impressionist, one of my favorite cast members. Yeah. Five foot seven, born October 8th, 1955. He was born in Melbourne, Florida, just outside of Orlando. He had a very troubled childhood growing up in a family plagued by abuse and mental health issues. This has led to an outspoken advocacy around his own diagnosis with bipolar disease and schizophrenia. He wears black when not performing in memory of a friend who committed suicide in 1992. He studied baseball at Brevard Community College and was a teammate of future Padres and Giants manager, Bruce Bocci. You don't have to trust me. I don't know if that's the right way to say his last name. Not a sports fan. Uh, hopefully I got that right. Was actually inspired to take this to the stage by Truman Capote, who spoke at his school. Seeing Truman get laughs, Daryl said, whatever this is, I want it. After getting a degree in advertising from the University of Florida, he moved to New York to pursue performance after the encouragement of his university theater professor. Early days had him working as a waiter, performing theater roles, and doing stand-up before returning to Florida to work as a radio DJ. He himself is a regular of the Howard Stern Show to this day. He holds 45 acting credits and four writer credits, having appeared on shows including Criminal Minds, The Kicker, and I, have, I can't recommend this show highly enough. It is one of the funniest things on television. At Home with Amy Sedaris. Trust me, watch it. He is great in it, but the show as a whole is stellar. A late starter, he began performing stand-up at 26 and didn't move to New York permanently until 32. While working as a cruise comedian, he was cornered in the bathroom by a man who forced him to take a dollar bill. The bill had trace amounts of cocaine, and he was arrested as part of an entrapment scenario popular with grifting tourists. So that just reminds you, always be careful and never take a dollar from a stranger. In a Consummate impressionists having impersonated over 107 different celebrities, and honestly the best Bill Clinton there ever darn was, he gained fame actually for his Elmer Fudd and Looney Tunes impersonations, releasing a comedy single called Rappin', which was regularly played by one of my heroes, Dr. Demento, and was so popular it was included on the show's 20th anniversary co compilation. Okay, little side here. I actually used to listen to the Dr. Demento show back when it was on Chum FM in the middle of the nights on Sundays. Uh, I remember listening to this. I loved it, and I did not know it was him until today. This is awesome. Awesome indeed. Let's take it downstairs to our friend Thomas Senna with Will Norman to discuss Daryl Hammond a little more. 
Take it away, Thomas. Matthew, JD, thank you so much for educating us. As always, you guys do such a great job there with the Minutia Minute. And this is a really, really interesting one, an interesting uh, topic today. I think of a cast member who I've always been fascinated by, definitely. And it was the longest tenured cast member before Keenan Thompson eventually broke his record. But I've just always been fascinated by this guy. It's Daryl Hammond is our topic today on the SNL Hall of Fame. And joining me to discuss Daryl Hammond's SNL journey is a wonderful guest, someone who I've been on the Saturday Night Network with. And he was on Beyonce. He broke down Alec Baldwin with me. So I want to welcome Mr. Will Norman. Will, how you doing? I'm doing great, Thomas. It's great to be back with you again. Um, Talking some more SNL. I think we have a very uh, fascinating cast member to talk about today. So I'm excited to, to dive in and talk about all of Daryl's contributions to the show and see if he's uh, we can make a good case for him to get into the hall. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've been uh, on here to talk about, as I said, a host and Alec Baldwin, a musical guest in Beyonce. Now we get your perspective on a cast member. So uh, I'm curious, Will, Like I don't think I've asked you this before. Like When you're, you're a big SNL fan... Uh, an SNL yeah. historian, you've been watching the show for a while. Like, what do you look for and just kind of uh, what are facets of a cast member that sticks out to you? Yes. Like when I'm looking at cast members, number one, I mean, you want someone who's going to bring something that is, they have their peaks of what they do well are stand out. They, they jump off the screen. I might've mentioned it to you before, but when it comes to these cast, new cast members, I'm, I'm very, I always pay attention to their first, obviously, on-screen appearances, but if they do weekend update appearances, I'm always very um, in tune to, like, how do they come on the scene? Do they come on hot? Do they jump off the screen in terms of their energy, the way that they present themselves? Are they really great at characters? Do they do great impressions? Um, do they have, do they work in, are good, you can tell they do good writing in the background to be able to present, present those things on screen? Like, those are some of the things, like, what are you bringing to the show? What's your skill set? I'm looking at those kinds of things. And then I mean, also just how well do they play with other cast members? You know, who is it that they're interacting with? Are they able to blend? I'm a big fan of the cast members who are very versatile, the ones that are able to carry a sketch, but can also have those funny one-liners in the background of a sketch and not need to be necessarily centered. Are they someone who's going to, like I said, bring those characters or someone who's going to do weekend update features? And then also, are they someone that is timeless? You know, we're talking about the Hall of Fame today. You know, there's a lot of times with either, you know, hosts sometimes definitely can be of their time. Musical guests, same thing. They could be someone that's just of their time and they kind of struck where the iron was hot and got an SNL. With cast members, I'm looking for someone who I could see them popping up on the show now. I could see them popping up in the 70s, the 90s, and they have something that they can bring to the cast that is timeless, um, that they can fit in seamlessly. And I, and I think it goes to, you know, we talk about SNL a lot as being like a team, right? And, and we talk about kind of in the sports mm -hmm. lens sometimes, but it's almost a good teammate, you know, it kind of goes back to how well they able to integrate and 
how are they able to to make their impact without needing the show necessarily be about them while still being a star? And those are things I look at look into for a cast member. Yeah, I think those are all great. If we were to design a cast member from scratch, like weird science style or whatever, those would be definitely big facets. And today we're talking about a very well-known impressionist from his time at SNL. Arguably, and we can maybe discuss this, I don't know, but one of the, arguably the best impressionist in SNL history, a lot of people would say. So I'm curious, just specifically as far as impressions, what do you look for in a great impression and impressionist? I would say, for one, I definitely agree with you. You know, you're looking at Daryl Hammond. I was going to position this question to you. I want to stay focused on Daryl, obviously, but I would say that he is definitely, I think for most fans, would have to be on the, the SNL Mount Rushmore for impressionists, right? Like, whatever your four are, like, if he's not on there, you know, what, what are we watching? You know, what, what, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, but in terms of impressions and impressionists, I think once again it goes to those few qualities. Uh, one with the impressions is the impression uh, really accurate. I mean, I do think that there is something to be said about people who can do those very accurate impressions of whoever it is from pop culture, politician, actor, actress, whatever it is. But then also, do they bring a unique take to that impression? Um, it's always fun when you can hear someone do an impression and you the crowd, the first time they do it, the crowd's kind of gasping, like, wow, that sounds just like such and such, right? But then also, what kinds of slants do they bring to that impression? Um, and like, what kind of take do they bring to the person? Are they focusing on why the person is famous? Are they focusing on their um, the way that they speak, the way they act? And I think the other part of it is, um, when I'm looking at impressions, is like, what is it that they, how are they able to utilize that on the show? Um, is it, uh, like I said, so we can update feature. Are they centering this person in real life events and sketches? Um, how are they able to deploy that and be able to have that person interact with other people around them? Those are kinds of things I'm looking for with impressionists. Um, and then, you know, I think whether they have like a Daryl who has, I think almost a hundred impressions to do on the show, or they might have five, you know, what's the peak of that? Like, are you, do you, do you start to be known as the person who's that impression? You know, you see, you have a lot of them in the past from the show when it turns into people who do an impression of that person are kind of doing your impression of that person. And that kind of takes on the zeitgeist. Those Mm -hmm. things I think are really important and what I look for from an impact on the show. And I think Daryl definitely hit all those heights in different ways with his different characters or different impressions, I should say as well. I agree with you. And you hit on something that I've heard a lot from SNL fans, and I've always believed this myself, is you have to have a point of view with your impression, I think. You have to have an angle. It can be exciting initially if somebody really sounds like the person who who they're doing the impression of, but then what? Like, you know, where do you go from there? And I'll pick on somebody who who's never been on SNL. So we're going to go outside of the SNL sphere because okay. I love all my SNL cast yeah. members. So I don't want to single anybody out. But somebody outside of SNL is somebody like Frank Caliendo, who does really accurate impressions. I've always struggled in a lot of cases to find his point of view with his impressions. If he's on as John Gruden on like one of the NFL kickoff shows or something like that, like he sounds remarkably like them and can do their mannerisms, but I never really, they've always left me cold because I've never really found an angle that Frank Caliendo has taken with a lot of his impressions. Does that make sense? 
No, that makes total sense because I think a lot of times too, and maybe it's the format that, you know, let's say for Frank Caliendo, where it is kind of like a, ju- a jukebox. Can you uh, put this in and give me mm-hmm. a minute of you just being that person and just kind of making fun of them, but it's just kind of a, you know, rapid fire impressions and phrases and things at you. Whereas I think a lot of times with in the SNL sphere, even if someone is doing that, they are in service of they're bouncing off of a weekend update anchor. They are in a real life situation. They are doing, you know, I should say, you know, a sketch, obviously, but they are interacting with people as that person, um, which brings more of a chance to have an angle versus just kind of give me an accurate jukebox version of this person for a minute, which I think is, is great. It's an awesome skill and an awesome talent. But like you said, the angle can sometimes be gone because you're just mimicking that person without bringing anything else to it. Man, maybe if Frank Caliendo was on SNL, he probably could show more of his comedic chops. So that's always possible. But as it stands, a lot of times when he does an impression, I'm left a little bit cold for that reason. And it's only exciting for so long. Like (laughs) being totally, totally accurate. While it's nice, it's only exciting uh, for a few minutes and then like, you got to give me more. So, and so, so we could get into his Daryl Hammond. I should say we can get into Daryl Hammond's main impressions now. And one of the big ones to me that really likes ticks all those boxes and all the criteria that you laid out as far as what you look for an impressionist is his Bill Clinton. Good evening, America. I'd like to speak to you tonight because this week the Bill Clinton presidency suffered a crisis in leadership. (laughs) It's been a bad week. (laughs) First, this Cheshna thing is getting me down. (laughs) People keep asking me questions like, what am I going to do? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I don't have a position. And then I looked everywhere for that new Abercrombie and Fitch catalog, you know, the one with the naked ladies. I think this might be the one that Daryl's most proud of, honestly, from what I from what I have seen and read about what he said about this impression. So I absolutely loved his Bill Clinton. Uh, I read somewhere he did it 61 times. Daryl claims he did it over 80 times. Nonetheless, it's just I think this is the one he did the most by far. So, Will, I think what stands out to you about about Daryl Hammond's Bill Clinton? Once again, I think, you know, the the it was an accurate impression, but it's also a fun and, you know, it was a fun impression. He did hit a lot of the same beats, but he really made the impression his own. And one thing that sticks out to me, you know, you go back to, I'm sure we'll touch on this with other impressions in the legacy of SNL, you know, you never really own an impression. You're kind of renting it while you're on the cast and it might be passed on to the next person. You know, Phil Hartman was doing Bill Clinton before Daryl came on the scene Daryl was still able to take it and make it his own and give his own spin while also dealing with a lot of the things that were in the news about Bill Clinton that became, you know, a part of the entire comedy universe, right, Um, and his presidency. But he was able to really make it his own and kind of you see the transition of kind of being, you know, this a smooth talking, you know, Southern president and then kind of being, you know, this ladies man and being this like, you know, quote unquote, tortured husband, right, Um, and all these different slants that he brought to it based on what was going on in the news um, while still being able to, you know, go to those beats, the thumb, the <laughs> wink, you know, the, just um, the, the innuendo, you know, and kind of winking at his own, his own troubles and kind of being able to brush it off and kind of being that, you know, the coolest person in the room and, and not phased by certain things. So bringing all those things that were going on in real life to the impression 
while keeping it fun and having fun with the fact that he was going to those same beats, I thought was a really cool way for him to do it. And there's obviously a lot of sketches where you see those sides come through, but I think him being able to make that his own and having even Bill Clinton, you know, like the impression and being invited to speak and do Bill Clinton in front Mm -hmm. of Bill Clinton, the same way that you saw, you know, Dana Carvey do Bush in front of Bush. Like when you have the person, especially someone like the president who kind of gives the nod is like, I like your impression of me. I think, when you look at SNL in general to have based on how much we go, you know, the show goes to the political sphere, having a political impression that the person who's doing it and says the president say, I like that one. I think it's probably one of the highest honors you can get as a cast member since it's a, well, they have to go to regardless of how well someone can do the impression. So those are my general thoughts on, on Daryl's bill, but I'd love to hear yours too, Thomas. Like what comes to mind for you when you're thinking about his bill Clinton and what he brought to the table? Yeah, it's just so fully formed, his Bill Clinton. And I think it's because Daryl has said that he he studied hours upon hours of tape on Clinton. This is the one that he really just like worked on like crazy to get. First of all, we talked about like it's great to to sound and have the mannerisms like the person you hit on it. Like he definitely did. He had the the thumb thing, he had the the vocal fry down too the southern draw and it's, it's kind of cool he said that uh clinton reminded him of john f kennedy in a way like he said clinton was maybe trying to be like john f kennedy he took inspiration sure. so yeah. what ha- daryl hammond did and what made the impression click for daryl was it daryl did kennedy's inaugural address from nine the early 60s in a southern accent like not on the show but he just when he mm-hmm. was just trying kind of trying to form this impression. So he said that's what clicked. So it's really neat to see an impressionist like find that angle. And that was Daryl's way in to Bill Clinton, Will. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I didn't I didn't even know that, which is really cool. And I think it goes to something that can be taken for granted, but just Daryl's commitment to getting the kid the the impression right. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's not a character where you're just saying, this reminds me of my you know, third grade teacher, I didn't impress my third grade teacher. And like, no one knows who it is. I'll turn that person into a character or, you know, or uh target, you know, there's a target lady or there's church lady. There's so many different characters that have been on the show that you can't say, well, that doesn't sound like a, a person from target or whatever. Jay when you're doing so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like when you have that, like his dedication to getting it right and finding that angle, I think is what made him so great. And like stories like that just really drive home how seriously he took it and how he, work to get these impressions right yeah are there any uh, bill clinton moments that stand out to you with daryl man there are there are quite a few i mean i think the ones i'll I'll give a couple that i that kind of stood out to me there's the cold open where he's uh reading the paula jones deposition uh he's reading it aloud to the nation and then the president escorted me down a narrow hallway from the oval office to a (laughs) dining room and back i was thirsty and he offered me a drink Before we reached the dining room, the president reached out and tried to kiss me. He lifted his hand and put it on my breast, and then my hand to his penis. That is hot! Jackie Collins, my ass. (laughs) He's talking through, obviously, the salacious details of what's going on with, you know, the Monica Lewinsky scandal. But he's enjoying it and reading it like it's like a romance novel and he's kind of getting a kick out of it in a way in a way that you would never, you know, expect someone to be 
you know, approaching their own controversies and, you know, kind of hawking it and holding up the book with the fake art cover of him, you know, dressed up like he's, uh, you know, Fabio, as he says in the, in the sketch. So it's like you have him doing that whole sketch and then you have, you know, Will Ferrell coming in at the end as, as Kenneth Starr kind of like as the way out to kind of subpoena him as Daryl Hammond to get him out for everyone that's even impersonating the president because it's obviously a big um, issue and or there's obviously subpoenas with the, with the trial. But it's like him being able to, like you said, bring um, a very like obviously serious thing that's going on that every that everyone is talking about and bringing that angle to it of pride, you know, like excited about it. Like that's just not an angle you would expect anyone especially to take and for him to be able to do it and give, you know, deliver it with this like the Southern charm and smiling and doing the thumb and the bite, the lip bite and all these things. And it's just kind of a, you said a, in a serious situation, the very funny way to wink and be like, I'm, you know, Bill Clinton and that doesn't bother me. So that's one that stood out to me for sure. Yeah. That, that, that one actually really stood out to me too. I took note of that when I was, when I was rewatching, it was funny to see Daryl out of character too. We didn't always see him <laughs> out of character as himself on SNL. So that, that was pretty cool. There was also a sketch where, he was on as Bill Clinton was on a three-way phone call with Saddam Hussein, <laughs> who was w- played by Will Ferrell and Monica Lewinsky, played by Molly Shannon. And they were on this three-way phone call like they were just all three of them knew each other really well. Saddam apparently knew Monica Lewinsky in the sketch, not in real life, in the yeah. sketch. Saddam and Monica Lewinsky obviously knew each other. So they just had this three-way phone call that was just hilarious. I think this gets played on like best ofs and retrospectives. Uh, for good reason, because I rewatched it. I'm like, God. Oh, my God. Wait, are you watching Dawson's Creek right now? <laughs> no, I am typing it. <laughs> and do not tell me what happens to Pisces. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, let me say hi to Saddam. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Saddam, are you still there? Who was that? One of your Jewish friends? No. Well, yes. So. Hey, Saddam. Monica, you never call me anymore. Daryl Hammond's just like, he does subtle things with his reactions to what other people are saying and his mannerisms and his smirk. And this is one where I think it's great to wink at the audience. A lot of times I like when performers don't wink at the audience when they make a joke. But in something like this, that's part of the game. That's part of the of, of the persona of this character is to, yes. he's really enjoying being president. He's really enjoying all of this, even though he's he's getting run through the mud <laughs> through, yeah. in a very public way. He's mm-hmm. enjoying it too. And and yeah. Daryl's playing this perfectly. No, I agree. And it's and I think that you said the nature of the character, what there's so many opportunities for him to do the camera facing addresses as in cold opens and kind of talking directly to America. There's even more permissible as president to always kind of be smiling and just enjoying the spotlight. Right. And, you know, you talk about him having these, you know, kind of being dragged through the mud or, you know, based on what he was, you know, he's doing like very publicly. One that stood out to me as well was there's a weekend update feature where it's uh, Bill Clinton and he is reviewing the movie Independence Day. Well, getting back to the film, Mr. President, was there anything that you didn't like? Well, I felt the character of Will Smith's girlfriend, the beautiful stripper, could have been developed more. (laughs) (laughs) 
We never learn much about her. For example, does she have friends? Are they also strippers? Obviously, if those not going to the movie, you know, it's about aliens attacking and they come back and, you know, we're having to fight these aliens. And that's just his action movie. And he comes out and he's talking to Norman. His whole focus and why he loves this movie is that in the movie, spoiler alert, sorry, that the president's wife dies at some point <laughs> oh, in a helicopter yeah. crash. And so the whole time he's just like, I just love this movie. And he's really harping on the, you know, how, you know, how great it would be and how, you know, he's wondering about how, you know, this situation, how he's like so happy for you know, the president with his, with his wife dying. It's like a very morbid take, mm-hmm. but like given what's going on in the news, like in the way he's still smiling and, you know, guffawing and having a good time with it. Like you, you know, you're kind of like, okay, that's just, you know, Bill being Bill kind of thing. And then yeah. he's talking about, I think at one point in time, the character Vivica A. Fox, who plays a stripper in the show, in the movie, in the movie, he's like asking, you know, I wanted to learn more about her. And he kind of like, you know, <laughs> d- dives into some of those like not uh, flattering aspects of like Bill Clinton's persona. But yeah. to your point earlier, like he's able to do these things and still kind of be smiling and being very, trying to be very charming throughout these things, like in that way of like, these things are rolling off my back. And obviously like there's been a lot of lit, you know, relegation looking back at how the, as a country, everyone handled those things and looked at those things, like the seriousness of that of, of it. Um, but even looking back at it, right. Like you could still see him making fun of how lightly he was taking it. You know what I mean? And, and still yeah. being able to, to bring that like a light, a lightheartedness to something that was very serious, but you realize as a viewer, like, oh, this is a serious situation, but he's just cool and, and not phased by these things. So I thought that this is another one, another example of him being able to, you know, whether it was the, the deposition, the three-way call, Independence Day, him bringing different mm-hmm. angles to this fully formed character in different ways that I think were really fun because you would never see the president doing these things. But it's just fun to be able to him to be accurate and be able to get to those places, which is cool. Yeah, he took I think he took an element of the real Bill Clinton too. everything that I've heard about Bill Clinton is he's like the most charming person in the room. He makes everybody feel like they're the most important person in the world when he's talking to them for better or for worse, quite honestly, because he could use that charm for not so great things as we saw here. And and, and by the way, it's kind of I think it's kind of neat to see over the years that Monica, Monica Lewinsky's has a more positive public image nowadays compared to what people are kind of retroactively apologizing to Monica Lewinsky for how they treated her back then. Uh, But that was kind of the Bill Clinton charm playing out and it it was a real thing. And I think Daryl tapped it into it well. And I loved when he appeared on weekend update. I'm glad that you brought up one of his weekend update bits because I I love that he took this Bill Clinton character and put him on the update desk because it's just such a, such a great fit. There was one where he critiqued the presidential candidates on oh, weekend yeah. update, <laughs> yeah. that was that that one cracked me up. But it was just really neat. It's like a versatile character for him to be able to go sketches, update, cold open. Like he really should be proud. And I know Daryl from reading his his book. Uh, he he's definitely really proud of this Bill Clinton. Yeah, he did a really good job. And, I, and, I, and it's interesting too. Like I think we sometimes I don't want to say that next. So I'm missing for myself. But like sometimes you take for granted the show gets a lot of grief because when they have to talk about politics and you have the president who, you know, given what's going on during the presidency is going to be the number one thing that people are talking about. You think about the Trump presidency and then you think about Clinton and what was going on there. You kind of can't ignore it. So to have someone that was doing such a great job as 
the president from an impression standpoint to be able to roll that out in so many different ways and people to not be like, Oh gosh, like Mm -hmm. here's Bill Clinton again. You know, it it was, it never seemed like it had that, you know, feel to it. It was always kind of like, Oh, like here's Daryl doing Bill again. You know, like he's showing up, what's he going to do this time? And like to deploy it in those ways, I think was, was a credit to him. And like, so the impression he did and all the things he did with it during that time when the president's front and center. Yeah. This one was just a truly defining impression and character for Daryl Hammond. Uh, where do we go from here? What else do you want to talk about as far as Daryl goes? Oh man, I think so. I guess we could keep it in the the same vein of like his, you know, his uh, political impressions. Okay. So I was kind of thinking, uh, going from there, going into Al Gore. Yeah. So Al Gore, obviously, another great impression that uh, Daryl did. And I think when you look at his his Gore, I mean, I think that there's a lot of uh, conversation after one of the sketches I want to talk with you about about his effect on potentially like the election and mm-hmm. similar to what we saw later with like Tina Fey and Sarah Palin, the accuracy, the take he took on Al Gore during the first presidential debate, I thought was hilarious, a hilarious rewatch for those who haven't seen it. The sketch that came to mind was the first presidential debate between Gore and uh, George uh, W. Bush. And he uh, essentially, you know, he plays Gore as being, very, um, and in Daryl's own words, is kind of like an overbearing teacher, like very <laughs> kind of talking very slowly and deliberately and kind of being the smartest person in the room and explaining things. And of course, you see Will Ferrell as Bush kind of playing, you know, the the grown up frat, frat kid, you know, who's uh, running for president kind of out of his depth and doesn't really know what's going on. And there's just so many good lines in that sketch. And once again, the accuracy that he brings to it. The writing and the sketch is fantastic. So like it's deployed perfectly. You talk about getting a great impression where you can get someone to say things that they probably wouldn't say normally. Daryl was great at that, obviously. So, you know, he's obviously references making fun of the, the term lockbox and referencing lockbox numerous times throughout the sketch. In my plan, the lockbox would also be camouflaged. <laughs> Now, to all outward appearances, it would be a leather-bound edition of The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. But it wouldn't be. It would be the lockbox. Um, There's a lot of great lines in that, but there is a point in time where he is, as Al Gore brings out a picture of this elderly woman named, uh, and he's talking about, like, the importance of, like, health care. And he's like, yeah, someone's Etta Munson. And he starts describing, he's like, she's a dear friend. He starts describing all of her issues. And he's like, you know, she has one kidney. She suffers from a rare form of polio, spinal meningitis, lung, liver, and pancreatic cancer, diabetes, and a rare form of cystic acne. You know, it's like this 94-year-old <laughs> woman. And it's like, he really does a really accurate take of gore. And it's such a contrast with Farrell's bush. And then obviously ending in like one of the great classic lines for Farrell, describe your... Uh, campaign in one word, you know, strategery. And then, you know, Gore is saying lockbox. Like, it's just a, it's a, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's definitely worth the rewatch. I'm sure I, I, I'm sure you'd probably um, struck a chord with you as well. Yeah. But just him bringing that accuracy to another political candidate, I just thought is another, you know, feather in his cap. Yeah, man. Like, I think that sketch, that first presidential debate, that was in 2000, I think in October of 2000, it became viral before we really even 
called video clips and stuff viral before things yeah. went viral this thing kind of did i i remember uh going to school i was a freshman in college and people were talking about it in class the following uh monday my mom and dad were like did you, did you see this did you see that that was so funny my mom and i quote it to each other uh mm-hmm. to this day it's just i think it's when too snl may have like reannounced itself as a political comedy leader with this mm-hmm. because in the early 90s we know you know dana did uh, george hw bush and Ross Perot, Phil Hartman did Bill Clinton, and they had some uh, really memorable sketches, and they got a lot of notoriety uh, with politics. But I think this specific presidential debate sketch was SNL reannouncing itself. And Daryl and Jim Downey, uh, Jim Downey, the great Jim Downey, was behind yeah. this, and he, they, both of them, really made it pop with the performance and the writing, making the Al Gore character talk about the lockbox as if it was a real thing because the real Al Gore used lockbox as a metaphor, but then people latched onto it. So, so they took it one step further and he actually in the sketch, like I think brought out an actual lockbox and was talking to it. He was describing where he was going to hide the key and all this stuff. Like, (laughs) so it morphed in from like, this is a metaphor to like, no, this is actually a real (laughs) lockbox. And that was just like a great, great angle. Uh, Daryl said that, that he, it was tough to get for him to get a read on Al Gore initially. He said there were like three different types of Al Gores. Like Al Gore didn't speak the same way in the videos that he watched. Mm-hmm. So he thought that Al Gore just, he was speaking the way he, like a vocal coach kind of told him to speak. So that's kind of what he based it on. Like just very robotic, very folksy, but stiff and awkward at the same time and his movements and, and intonation. So he definitely had a point of view with this one too, Will. Yeah, no, I would agree. And like, I think he hit the nail on the head. Like he, he brought something new and a very, I mean, Al Gore's energy versus Clinton, right? Totally different. Mm-hmm. So you see the versatility um, where we've seen impressionists or cast members who can only have one speed, right? They got one pitch. It's a, you know, it's a hundred miles an hour down the plate. Like he was able to find the nuance in someone who's much more understated um, than say a Bill Clinton, and be able to, like I said, find that that slant on him, and with the great writing, obviously bring um, an angle that was resonated with people, and you know is is obviously one of their most successful and you know funny and great like most rewatchable sketches for sure from a political standpoint. Yeah, I wanted to ask you. So so after this sketch aired, and after the election results, especially, I mean, this this didn't get resolved until January of of two thousand one. A lot of us who were around, we remember waiting months for yeah. for the final decision. But this was one of the first times I remember SNL almost getting blamed in some circles for the outcome of, a, of an election. So do you think these political sketches could have an impact on elections? You know, it's a great it's a great question. I think I want to, you know, I, I would say in some ways, yes, because I think there's two there's two parts to it. One as time goes on, we kind of forget how much people were paying, how much more people were paying attention to network television in the early 2000s, in the 90s, like when SNL was obviously the main, like was a appointment television, right? And so I think that there's an aspect where more eyes are on it. It's it was like I said viral before the idea of being viral was 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 a thing, 
And when you look at presidential elections, there are those who are very much in tune with elections and politics year round. It doesn't matter if it's an election year. It, it just they're looking at all the time. There's a lot of people who are tuning in. And once it's time for, you know, the maybe post maybe the primaries, maybe it's the general election and they go, all right, who we got? You know, who, who are the candidates this year? And so when you have a show like SNL that has that platform that's able to say, hey, here are our, here's our angle on the candidates. There are a lot of people that, that take that, um, especially when it's presented in that hilarious package, right? And say, this is kind of what I think about this person or, you know, with any impression, right? You hear it once and then it's like, I can't look at Bill Clinton without thinking about Daryl Hammond. I can't look at uh, here all Gore without thinking lockbox. Like those things, I think do get submitted in people, and I think the slant that SNL takes can affect people. I don't think that it's to the point that it is. You know, they're swinging elections. I think if they could swing elections or if they had that power, I don't think that you know. I don't think Trump would have won. I guess maybe he hosted, so maybe they did. But no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Jimmy, but but I do think there are definitely from a pop culture standpoint are the general takes on people. I do think that there is that aspect because there are people who are just tuning in and getting a lot of their information from just during the election cycle and what you know popular commentaries their take is and the angle is on certain people at that critical time. Yeah, well, I'm reminded actually of a tidbit that I heard that Al Gore's campaign staff apparently thought that it could have an impact because they made Al Gore watch this debate sketch so he could get an idea as to why he might come off negatively to some people. They used it as an example to Al Gore and say, look, like this is how SNL's kind of making fun of you. Honestly, this is how you could be perceived as very robotic. Like, you know, so they were trying to, to show this to Al Gore to let him know, like maybe show some personality, maybe, don't lecture the country the, in, right, in right. that in that way, you know. Like, so I think Al Gore's campaign staff thought about how SNL. I don't know if they thought that maybe uh, if they thought SNL specifically could affect the outcome of the can of the election, but they felt that the SNL had some power to yeah. be able to portray their candidate in a certain way. So I thought that was interesting that their that the Al Gore's own campaign staff was like, "Hey, man, you got to watch this and cut it out." In some yeah, ways. <laughs> that, that is that is, that is very interesting, especially uh, to that point when at the time that that those clips are getting replayed over and over mm-hmm. again, pre YouTube, you know, pre all the ways we connect social via social media. Now that's got to be front and center, and that's where people are thinking about you as a candidate based on what Daryl's doing. Right, right, and so yeah, so I, I, now I want to go outside of the political. Sphere like those were two great impressions, Al Gore and Bill Clinton. But stepping outside of the the political sphere for a second, and a, another impression that I think he might be most well known for, he's probably he probably loves his Bill Clinton the best. But I think he's even said that he gets comments on this every single day. It's his Sean Connery <laughs> from the Celebrity Jeopardy sketches. So yeah, Will, these had to have stood out to you like they did with me. Oh man, a hundred percent. I mean. It's you can talk about this in one of two ways, right? And I think maybe we'll we'll save oh, and we'll talk about both of these, but like the the Connery impression obviously is so much fun in not just the the impression, the way that it was utilized. Looking at it from this first appearance on Celebrity Jeopardy to like the final appearance, like it they kind of build and, and grow what that character looks like and in its interactions with with Alex Trebek. I I heard this is probably just your urban legend, but I heard there's been different, like the origins of, of, uh, you know, where the sketch came from, but it, 
Norm McDonald had taken some credit, like that he had taken it from like an SCCT, SCTV, I think, uh, sketch. There was talk of um, trying. I'm blanking on the the other the other source, but I, I also heard that there was a point where like Will Ferrell and Daryl Hammond were just like in their free time, just somehow started doing like a Trebek and Connery impression, and kind of <laughs> just going back and forth, like just in general, just going like bantering back and forth, yeah. and kind of ended up utilizing that in the Celebrity Jeopardy sketches, but. When you think about how much fun he had with that sketch, like the the accuracy, like he's talked about it as being like an SNL impression and like his first Connery shown on screen was very accurate and then kind of turned a little more cartoonish as like they, mm-hmm. they you know, uh, did the Fat Informer Celebrity Jeopardy. The Celebrity Jeopardy sketch, right, in all its iterations is to me, and we hate to go back to the Mount Rushmore thing, but like, when you talk about repetitive sketches on the show, it is one it is one of, if not the best, recurring sketch that is essential SNL, like in the history of the show. And when you think about that sketch, you cannot think of it being done without Will Ferrell as Alex, Tre- Alex Trebek and Daryl Hammond as Sean Connery. It wouldn't feel right if someone else was doing that while still having the ability to zoom in and out all these different other celebrity impressions and get, make it a showcase for that um, while still having those two be that kind of way that centers it and that energy between the two of them anchoring the show. And there's obviously so many iterations of like the, of celebrity jeopardy. Um, but I would just say that it's not probably his best impression from like the standpoint of like the Bill Clinton one, like with, you know, being a president political as we talked about, but like it is an amazing impression and the impact it had on the show and the way it was used, I would say, could make the case for being the most impactful one he's done because it's just an incredible use of that, that impression. I, I could go on for a while. I'm going to take a pause no, here. No, so that, I can, that was uh, great. <laughs> let, let you get in here before we get into some of this sketch specifics. But I, I just think that it's an, an amazing impression. No, I have fond memories of this too. And it, and it still resonates to this day. I think people watch Jeopardy. There's, there's references to those old celebrity Jeopardy's even nowadays, I think I saw a video recently, Ken Jennings, who's now for all intents and purposes, the, the host of Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the categories was swords. And one of the contestants said, I'll take S words. And Ken Jennings <laughs> did acknowledge like, oh, it's actually swords. But it was good. You knew that Ken Jennings That's obviously knew where that came from. Sean Connery, it's still your board. Uh, I'll take swords for 400. It's actually not swords, <laughs> sir. Swords. These are words that begin with S. But even to this day, like a contestant on Jeopardy said S words. And when the category was yeah. swords, that's that's a direct uh, thing that he pulled from Celebrity Jeopardy. You just, we hear that all the time. The the penis mightier. And like, no, that's the pen is mightier. Like, <laughs> just all these people try to come up with their own Jeopardy categories to... Mm-hmm. And just, we all, I think we've all, I, I don't know, I'll speak for myself and say that I've tried to do like a Sean Connery impression when nobody was looking and see how accurate <laughs> I was. And my cousin and I would do the Sean Connery to each other. And it was just so, yeah, very, very, I think Mount Rushmore, it might be like that. I'm thinking of like, what's up with that for me oh, is, some, that, yeah. is, is something that's up there. But th- this one is just amazing. And there were two installments at the beginning. So the first installment of Celebrity Jeopardy, 
Sean Connery was uh, in there with Burt Reynolds and I forget who else. But then the next two, Daryl Hammond played somebody else. So Sean Connery didn't come back till the fourth one, but it was a different one. He was almost kind of taking the place of the traits of Burt Reynolds because Norm MacDonald had left the show. So -hmm. that's when in the fourth installment we saw Sean Connery, like the really like that's when his full on innuendo and attacking Alex Trebek and Alex Trebek's mom and all of this stuff. That's when it really started taking into shape was that fourth installment. It's just a great example of finding an angle with an impression, Will. Yes, no, hundred percent, and, and it's it's funny because you know you talk about like I think everyone I don't think you're alone, Tom. I think everyone has done a Connery impression, like in uh, in you know in their in a safe space, like because it's just it's a fun one. It's obviously a really fun one to do, and I think Slurry Jeopardy is probably one of the most quoted sketches on the show from a recurring standpoint. Yeah, like you said, the cadence and the the rhythm they found within the show to have Connery be that like antagonist. Connery antagonistic with Will Ferrell's Trebek. Sean Connery, why don't you pick? Well, the game is afoot. I'll take anal bum cover for seven thousand. That's an album cover, not anal bum cover. I can read Trebek. That says anal bum cover. I spent five years of my life trying to invent an anal bum cover. Failing to do so is my greatest regret. (laughs) You have led a horrifying life. But I I did put like my top, my top three more or less of Connery quotes within Celebrity Jeopardy. Um, or his responses, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, obviously a lot of a lot of mom stuff here. But he says uh, <laughs> there's one point uh, the category I think is animal sounds. And uh, Connery says, you know, this is how a cow makes, and he says moo. Trebek says that's wrong. He says that's the sound your mother made last night. That's the then sound he- your mother made last <laughs> night. That was great. That was great. For everybody listening, I did not play audio from that. That was actually me I, doing that. I was going to say, can't it, tell. I, I was going to say, you <laughs> thought Connery was here and joined the podcast. We could not get Daryl Hammond on here, but uh, that was amazing. That was good. I had to gear uh, up for that. Yeah, that no, no, was good. And then uh, he does the what's the difference between you and a mallard with a cold? One's a sick duck. I can't remember how it ends, but your mother's a whore. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just come out of left field and then of course his his uh answer of just write a number and he writes the letter v and his wager is is suck at your back with the rest of the v yeah. making of the k and so it's just like, like despite your best efforts that's correct that is a <laughs> roman numeral <laughs> yes. and then the 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 burns and then the the hardy laughed at the hardy laugh after right like he just had like there's just it's obviously so over the top and obviously this would one never happen on Jeopardy. Like, and, I, and I think the fact that Alex Trebek, obviously like rest in peace was such a loved person. The idea that someone would be on the show and be this rude to him while in him still being so gracious and trying to just keep the show going. You know, I think all those things and finding those ankles with it really worked, but the energy, like you said, that he brought with Connery as they kind of had Norm Donald X to the show and Burt Reynolds leaving and him be able to fill that void. 
I just thought that it was like a really fun, very fun angle that he brought to it and on one of like said the, the, the best recurring sketches in the history of the show. Daryl described his Connery as a swashbuckler, which I thought was interesting. Like that's what he had in mind was this swashbuckling guy who who would just poke Alex Trebek's buttons. But he used the term swashbuckler, which I thought which I thought was really funny and and it's very evocative. Like I'm like, yeah, I think that's a really good description of this. (laughs) That feels very very accurate. (laughs) Andrews. Yeah, so that's three iconic impressions and characters. Gosh, Bill Clinton, Sean Connery, Al Gore. Does he have anything else? I know there's probably a couple uh, at least. I mean, he's done so much, but just like things that yeah. that might stick out. There are like a few. Like I would, I would throw out there. I'll, I'll for those who like, you know, who are maybe not familiar with Daryl Hammond for whatever reason. Maybe like they're you know a recent fan of the show. Like a couple, like I'll say honorable mentions and some sketches that stood out to me. Like as just fun rewatches. One. I would say this is in no particular order. I did a really good Phil Donahue. And mm. as a, a kid of the nineties, like watching like talk shows and like he does as a Phil Donahue, he does a tirade on weekend update. Meanwhile, we've got a Republican Congress and the generals in the Pentagon are building B one bombers and flag is flying everywhere. It's the 4th of July and mom and dad and Yankee doodle. I'm a Yankee doodle dandy and God's in his heaven. All is right with the world. And meanwhile, blacks can't register. The Cuban missiles are pointed at our shores and ketchup is a vegetable. It's around the time that it's announced, like, um, Sally Jesse Raphael passed him, I think, in ratings. And he comes on and he's talking enormous. We can update, uh, update Anchor. And he just kind of goes on, like, a typical Donahue rant. So it's kind of of its time where if you'd ever watched Donahue and weren't used to his, like, kind of long monologues and, like, him getting passionate, it is so accurate and so funny just as a kind of a an accurate impression. It's just kind of a throwaway. But his Donahue was really fun. Um, he had big also- shoes to fill with that Donahue because Phil Hartman – Yes, had done a Donahue, and so people would obviously SNL fans would definitely compare Daryl Hammond <laughs> to Phil Hartman's Phil Donahue, as they probably did with Bill Clinton as yeah. well. So that that's speaks a, a lot to Daryl Hammond. It's about like he made something like Phil Donahue his own when a great cast member in Phil Hartman did a Phil Donahue. I find that that's an extra degree of difficulty. I think. Yes, yes, it is. I think it, you're, it's a great point, Thomas, because you when you are you know taking over an impression from someone who is and also, you know, Phil Hartman, I think on a lot of people's route rush more again, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and beat that horse to the ground. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for all time cast members, it's a lot of pressure on that one, right. To, to take over yeah. two impressions he was doing. The other two I was going to mention really quick are his Chris Matthews, who to those who don't know, Chris Matthews is the host of uh, the show hardball on MSNBC back in the day, kind of a live debate show. They go kind of around the horn and there's an episode. It is um, it is from 2006. John McCain is the host, and Daryl Hammond plays Chris Matthews, and he's talking to um, Rachel Dratch as Rebecca Dewitt, talking about terrorism. John McCain um, as another politician who's I'm blanking on right now, and then Tracy Morgan as Harry Belafonte, who's just saying the craziest stuff. And Daryl is centered in all of it as Matthews going across the panel, reacting to them. Are we safer today than we were pre-9-11? Joining us today, Associate Director of the ACLU, Rebecca DeWitt. Hello, Chris. Boring. (laughs) 
Also joining us, Attorney General of the United States, John Ashcroft. Thanks for having me, Chris. I had to. I was afraid you'd arrest me and put me in a camp. And finally, he made headlines last week when he called Colin Powell a sellout, comparing him to a slave serving his master, Harry Belafonte. Harry, welcome. 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 What are you, some kind of slave master? Uh, Belafonte. Crazy right off the bat. I love it. If you haven't seen that sketch before, great way to see kind of the things we talked about at the beginning, right? With Daryl being doing an accurate impression, making space for other cast members, playing his role perfectly, but being able to like give people room, like air for their great lines to breathe, making room for his great line deliveries and being able to be this vehicle for nonsense in an accurate impression for someone in the political sphere or wherever. Great rewatch. Um, yeah. If you, if, if you have, hasn't seen that one. Yeah. He played, I just love how he played Chris Matthews. So grumpy, like Chris Matthews <laughs> is kind of a grumpy dude. Like that's kind of how he, yeah. he comes across on the air as it is, but just how Daryl just took that and, and turned it up to 11, just a little bit yes. on the grumpiness. It's <laughs> yes. just great. I always, always love seeing his Chris Matthews pop up. That is a great one. I, I really love that sketch. That's always a fun, fun rewatch. And then, um, I know we talked about politics already, but this is just like one throwaway sketch. It's uh, obviously Daryl was doing Donald Trump as well before oh. he was doing uh, Donald Trump before. Uh, I think well, like Taryn Killen did it for a while, and then for Alec did it, and now obviously with a uh, JAJ doing it now. But there is a the time he was doing. Obviously, Trump was most known for the um, for The Apprentice. And then kind of got into the GOP debate. But there's a there's a sketch where he is playing Donald Trump doing a Domino's pizza ad. And action. Say cheese, burger, pizza, only from Domino's like the game. Cut! <laughs> okay, uh, that, that was great, except that... Uh, that you know. was great. Mm-hmm. Keep rolling, because I'm going to wing one now, right off the cuff, Robin Williams style. <laughs> and action. Cheese Louise, I'm hungry. Hey, wait. I'm a slice of cheeseburger pizza from Domenio's like the game. Eat me. Trump comes on screen wearing a, a huge pizza, and it's Seth Meyers in the background, like as the director, kind of giving him lines and feeding him lines. And basically, uh, Daryl, as, as Donald Trump, just butchering it, <laughs> you know, basically, and calling yeah. Domino's. Dominios and like not getting the theme song wrong or not getting the theme song right. At one point in time, I think he says, do, 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 Dominios. Like he just doesn't know what anything about it. It's just a very much like a throwaway. It's a, it's a fun rewatch because like from a time of like when that's what Trump was known for, just like as the, mm-hmm. you know, hosting The Apprentice and he's having a lot of fun with it. It's a very silly sketch with some great lines in it. Yeah. But like I said, those, those three talking about Donahue, Chris Matthews, Donald Trump. I mean, we've talked about six of hundred, like almost a hundred impressions he's done, and all of them are very accurate. And he has a lot of fun with them. And those are a couple ones I just wanted to throw in as honorable mentions for him. One that really sticks out to me is his Regis Philbin. I really loved, mm-hmm. and that's another one. Like Dana Carvey did a really good Regis, yes. one that I really loved from Dana Carvey. And so to see Daryl do it, I loved Daryl's Regis Philbin as well, <laughs> yes. and just like. He had Daryl had that vocal cadence down perfectly. Well, 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 good morning. Good morning, everybody. 
everybody. I am in a fantastic mood. Oh, wow, for once. Oh, <laughs> What'd you do last night, Reach? Well, I went to a big party last night at Tavern on the Green to celebrate the release of Diane Carroll's new record album. Ooh, fancy. Well, it was very fancy. I mean, this party was star-studded. <laughs> I mean... Everyone was there. The shouts at the end of sentences, he would just, you could feel his readers getting more riled up and then it would just explode at the end. Like, that. Yes. It, it, like yeah, it's, uh, it's just a testament to Daryl that I didn't immediately just want to see Dana do Regis Philbin when it appeared. And, and Daryl was just so, so good at it. I think there was one, there was a sketch in particular where they were auditioning for new co-hosts for yes. Regis Philbin. So they kind of paraded, it was almost a parade of impressions kind of sketch. Yep. And Daryl just carried that thing so well and <laughs> such a good sketch. I just love that, uh, his version of Regis. And he did the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire sketches, mm-hmm. I think, too, as Regis. So that was really great. Uh, also, Dick Cheney, another another political one. But we have to oh, mention yeah. Dick Cheney. He did that over 20 times. He played Cheney as just this really gruff, no-nonsense guy. It was almost a... Uh, uh, kind of the opposite. It was like a foil to Will Ferrell's dim-witted George W. Bush. Uh, he mm-hmm. played it pretty much like Dick Cheney was the smart mastermind in the yes. dynamic. And he was the adult in the room. There was a memorable one where Cheney's doing an interview with Tom Brokaw while riding a missile. Mr. Vice President, uh, I'm sorry, but wasn't the plan to wait until Congress debated the issue? That was one plan. I had another plan, Tom. You don't get a pacemaker sitting around watching Anna Nicole Smith waiting for the rest of the world to join up. <laughs> Besides, nice to have a missile this size between my legs. <laughs> it looks like you're having a snack up there, Mr. Vice President. It's a lunchable mini pizza time. <laughs> they don't serve a meal on this flight, baby. He's on top of a missile, like like in Doctor Strangelove, basically. He's riding this <laughs> missile. And that that was just that was such a, a fun sketch to go rewatch. Uh, as Dick Cheney, he rarely changed tone unless it was like a sinister laugh or something, <laughs> and it yeah. worked. So that's I wanted to throw out there Regis Philbin and Those Dick are, Cheney as well. But as you mentioned, he did over probably like a hundred impressions on the show. Mm-hmm. He was the impression guy. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. And to have someone on the cast that was that talented that could do that many impressions that well is, I mean, one of the reasons why I think we, I think we both I want to speak for you, Thomas, but I, th- I think we both think that he should be a sure, a surefire first ballot hall of famer. Honestly, I think so. And, uh, I, uh, of course I doing this show, I, I often don't editorialize, but sometimes I do, but I really do think Daryl Hammond's a hall of famer. I, I, I honestly, and I, I do get a vote. <laughs> I don't just lead the conversations. I get a vote too. So, so I am going to vote for Daryl Hammond. Uh, I've already started looking at my ballot. Our friends at the Saturday night network, will they're doing a uh, cast member countdown and they actually not, not John and them, but they had the, their listeners and, uh, social media followers and stuff like submit names as to who they feel should be in the top 50 cast members. Yep. So they're doing this countdown and Daryl was ranked number 33 in the yep. countdown. So what do you think of that placement? I think, I honestly think he should be higher. Like I, I have him top 20. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like he's a top 20 cast member. And I, I do think, you know, and I think it's, uh, it's been really fun to listen to the countdown so mm-hmm. far. And I'm excited for those to, um, I know they're going to shift days uh, coming up, but like as the season gets kicked up, 
but it has been fun to see where the fans place those 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 cast members. But I do think that Daryl is a top twenty cast member because you know we talked about it at the, at the top of the show, right? Like when you're thinking about a cast member, like all time great cast members, and what they bring to the table, I can't think of any era of cast that if Daryl said I'm available, and you know Daryl Hammond in his prime is like, hey, I can mm-hmm. be here. That they would say no, and I think that we've obviously had a lot of great people. But when you think about what he brings to the table, and not just like you know, sometimes with just like a moment here, or some people have had great peaks, or they've had great characters, or they've had like things that you know maybe have had different generations in a different way. But Daryl's consistency across all the volume of, of impressions he's able to bring to the table, I agree with you. I think he's definitely a top twenty cast member of yeah. all time. Um, so and I, our I friends can... at the SNN, get your act together. Let's know. Figure it out. What are you guys doing? Figure over it there? out. Come on, John. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're going to start a little feud with the Saturday Night Network. Here. No. <laughs> we go. love those guys. Yeah, go yeah, check out sure. their uh, Saturday Night Network's cast member countdown. And I, to to kind of maybe play devil's advocate and get in the brains of folks who might struggle with Daryl Hammond or remembering Daryl Hammond and how, just how much he contributed. I think sometimes maybe it felt like he wasn't part of the cast in a weird way because he had his niche and he was almost seemed like he was like in a different play on a different plane as other cast members because he was the impression guy basically. But Lorne didn't really want him doing many sketches in which he wasn't doing an impression. Lauren wanted Daryl to always be ready to learn an impression that week of or last minute. And Daryl was just great at that. But I think maybe in some people's minds, the fact that maybe he didn't do as many non-impression sketches, he didn't have any characters outside of impressions. I think that might hurt him a little bit. I know there too, there was also something unknowable sometimes about Daryl. Cause he was always so immersed in the character. He, he never he didn't really go on update as himself as we see a lot of cast members do. He was always in character. Sometimes he would appear. I think he co-hosted with like Kelly Ripa on Regis and Kelly. He took over for Regis for like a couple days or something. So every now and then we would see the real Daryl. But to me, there was always too something a little unknowable about him, and he did feel like almost a separate entity from the rest of the cast. So that that's just kind of plain devil's advocate. I can kind of see what that, how that might happen. Will. Yeah, no. And that, that makes total sense. And I, I don't want to guess, you know, Daryl's motivations. Cause I mean, in some ways I look at it and I just say plain devil's advocate, devil's advocate. Like sometimes, you know, actors will say, I don't, I don't want people to know that much about me because then it allows them to believe more. It's the, the characters are more believable. The impressions are more believable and the focus is on the impression. But I do think that you're right in that when you when you do that many care when you do the impressions, I think sometimes as new cast members come in, we kind of as a as fans will say, "Oh, this is the impressions guy," you know, and you can yeah. get pigeonholed into that. That's happening with uh, James Austin Johnson now, right. right? Like where he's like he'll he kind of he'll even be self-referential about like I'm the impressions guy, but there's obviously capability to do more. Um, but I think when you look at you know for him the volume, the accuracy. And I think his ability to still be from everything that I could see a team player on the show. Right. Mm-hmm. And to use his impression to in concert with the writing to also showcase other cast members to be centered when he needed to be, but also to, to celebrate celebrity jeopardy. Like 
to be able to know I'm going to get some laughs, but also I'm going to make room for everyone else's and the, the things that they're bringing to these characters. I think all those things are reasons why he shouldn't be overlooked. And there's just, you know, we talked about it before. When you look at how many people have come on the show and have been known for their impressions, I just think that he kind of stands above everyone in terms of what he's able to do. And because he did so many, it probably got overlooked and taken for granted. And obviously the more we get away from people, the less, you know, they get appreciated sometimes. But I hope that people that um, are familiar with him or aren't, um, that they get a chance to like either rewatch and just reappreciate a lot of things that he did in his contribution to the show. And I think one thing that I would say too, is I think we take lately, obviously with Keenan, right? Talking Thompson, 20 years, like headed into the year 21 from the show, like that longevity is obviously something that gets talked about and really celebrated. And I think once you get past, like when you're second on the list, like people can overlook it. Yeah. But I think the fact that he was on the show for 14 years and had that record and obviously was a part of two different eras and generations of the cast, I think just speaks to how much he meant to the show and how they just kind of want him to be there to be able to bring what he does across those different eras when he, from when he started in 95 to leave me in 2007, like did a really great job. And I hope that people, like I said, can appreciate all his contributions, even if they were quote unquote, just impressions or me. Before we get out of here, I wanted to encourage everybody to go uh, read Daryl Hammond's book. If you haven't had the chance, it was released in 2012 It was published in 2012 uh, it's called God If You're Up There, and it's a cool peek into who Daryl is. And it was really helpful for somebody like me who never really felt like I knew who he was. A really candid book. He talks about his struggles with alcohol and cocaine and anxiety. Uh, as a matter of fact, he said before that Al, the the first presidential debate that he was so nervous backstage that he he cut himself the razor blade. Yeah. So he really, Daryl really opens up in this book and shares his struggles with substance abuse and anxiety and trauma and things like that. And it really was just so, so fascinating. And our friends at the Saturday Night Network, John Schneider, interviewed Daryl Hammond uh, not too long ago. So go uh, encourage everybody to go check out that interview as well. So I just wanted to plug Daryl Hammond's book, God, If You're Up There, really fascinating as far as snl alums goes that's a really really good book so i think we did a good job of summarizing daryl's candidacy for the snl hall of fame will i really appreciate you joining me today the day is ours sorry that was my connery sorry <laughs> slipping in there at the very end but i'm happy to be here it was awesome to talk with you about daryl i hope everyone gets a chance to revisit his old stuff and I said, always a pleasure to, to talk to you, Thomas, and talking about SNL and all these Hall of Fame candidates. Thanks for having me. So there's that. Thanks so much, Will. Thanks so much, Thomas. That was lovely. Uh, learned a lot. Let's dig into uh, a sketch selection now uh, from Mr. Hammond. Uh, this is uh, Daryl portraying Bill Clinton as our friend Matt said off the top, you know, arguably one of his most famous characters on SNL and uh, just a great Clinton. This is him on Weekend Update. Give it a listen. 
Good evening, America. <laughs> well, the primaries are underway. <laughs> Looks like it's boiling down to McCain, Bush, Gore, and Bradley. Four reputable men, any one of them would make an honest, scandal-free president. <laughs> Your next leader will show up where he's supposed to show up, say what he's supposed to say, and conduct himself with decorum at all times, thus restoring dignity to the Oval Office. You're going to miss me, aren't you, man? <laughs> admit it. Admit it. <laughs> you missed me already. I'm not even gone. <laughs> I mean, did you watch the primaries? Four boring guys in suits spewing out sound bites. That's what you expected from these guys. That's how it used to be. But I changed all that. <laughs> I made the presidency fun. I made the presidency exciting. <laughs> and when I go away, it's back to boring old politics as usual. I mean, uh, 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 look at these guys. Bill Bradley, what's his big scandal? He drank too much cream soda. <laughs> My fellow Americans do not view this man while operating heavy machinery. <laughs> then there's, there's Al Gore. Look, I love this guy. You know that, but come on. English is Al Gore's second language. His native tongue is binary code. George W. Bush. Here's his scandal. He was spoiled by his parents and he partied a little 30 years ago. Big deal. Do you know what I did this morning? I mean... I don't want to spoil it for you, you know, before it leaks out through the press. But it involved a Polaris missile full of heroin and that girl from American Beauty. Yes, yes, it did. And John McCain. Folks, John McCain's not scandalous and sexy. He's just crazy. Folks, that's an important distinction. Plus, what is his platform? Honesty and straight talk? People. This is no way to live. <laughs> Which is why, my fellow Americans, for the remaining months of my presidency, I am rededicating myself to serving and entertaining the American people. <laughs> I promise you it is going to be a wild ride. <laughs> oh, I'm going to start hanging out with Jay-Z. I will bring new meaning to the words, dear penthouse, I never thought it would happen to me, but. <laughs> here, here, watch this. Okay, uh, what is your name, sweetheart? Uh, do you want to go to the Caribbean with the president? Well, all right then. People, that took four seconds. <laughs> Imagine what I can do with eight more months. Yeah. It's an exciting time to be alive. Thank you, and God bless you. President Clinton, everybody. I'm Colin Clinton. That's my story. That was fantastic. That's just a great example of what he was able to give to the writers. Uh, just fully formed, you know, creations that they can then work with him and write really tremendous uh, output. Uh, yeah, I miss I miss Hammond being on the show, and he was omnipresent. Um, 
in a way that Keenan is now. <laughs> you know, you just you just expect him to see there. It's Saturday night. I'm going to go visit Daryl Hammond and and Keenan. Uh, so it's really cool that he has continued to do the announcing. I think that's uh, you know just a, a a testament to who he is and what he means to Lauren and what he means to the show and all of us. So does he make the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I don't know. I I feel like he should be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. I I, I do feel that way. Time will tell, though. We'll have to wait and see, as the case may be. Once voting opens, it's all up to you. That's what I have for you this week. Hope you're well. Big thanks to Will Norman again, uh, obviously to Thomas and Matt. And that just leaves us with one more thing to do. And on your way out, if you wouldn't mind, by the Weekend Update exhibit, there's a light switch. Turn it out, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week.